0: Amen. Morning, everybody. Morning. Man, it's good to be together. Good to celebrate Easter Sunday uh, together. Man, I'm honored that you are here, that we get to, to have these moments together. Uh, know that as we sing these songs, as we uh, look at these scriptures, as we pray together, that we're, we're joining uh, literally billions of Christians around the world who are doing the same sorts of things. Uh, gathered in all different kinds of venues, from cathedrals, uh, just filled with beautiful architecture to uh, sort of open air and grass huts. Like, we are a part of this this movement that God is up to, the kingdom of God. And uh, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a part of it. It's a privilege to be able to share uh, these moments together with you. I'd love to have you take out uh, a Bible Whatever form uh, you have it in, electronic, that's totally cool, or uh, f- you brought one. If you didn't, there's a red one um, somewhere on the road that you're in. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. If you grabbed one of those red Bibles, um, 1 Corinthians 1 is on page 1,040. 1,040. Now, before we get into the sermon, which uh, I'm excited about, I have this we uh, a really big announcement. Like, not to, like, set it up. Like, so big that you're, like, super disappointed. But um, I think you're going to be kind of blown away by it. Um, many of you know, well, if you've been around Journey for a while, you realize, like, concerts aren't, they're not our thing. Like, we don't do concerts all that often, like, where we have bands come in and host a big event, things like that. Um, it's not really our jam, but we had an opportunity presented to us that we couldn't turn down. Uh, I was just too good, too good to pass up. And many of you know uh, that Journey uh, is actually named after the band Journey. Uh, I, for some of you, that may be new. but And, and you know that like, uh, the wheel in the sky keeps on turning. Uh, it's actually a reference to this Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, the vision of the wheel in the sky. And uh, don't stop believing that these songs, they make regular appearances in our worship and second and third service here. So, uh, all that... And also, the other thing is, it's our 85th year as a church. And so just to, like, keep this celebration going, I had this opportunity to have a concert we are calling Journey at Journey. And so, come on. Everybody excited about that? So we've been, like, uh, been working on this for a while, uh, but it felt like this was the right Sunday. It felt like April 1st was, like, the right Sunday to just, like, make this announcement and... uh, felt like a very April 1st thing to do. So, had some of you gone, maybe? Like, maybe a little bit? We're named after Journey? Really? News to you. So, April Fool's, by the way. So, it is April Fool's. It's April 1st, and it's Easter Sunday, and this doesn't happen all that often. So, um, in fact, it's been like 50 years since Easter Sunday has, has fallen on April 1st. So, what we're doing is We're doing a series called The Foolishness of the Cross. And so for the next uh, three weeks, this Sunday and the next two, what we're going to be doing is just like staring into the beauty and the mystery and the power of the cross. Uh, For some of us, like who've been around the Christian faith for a long time, we, we, we feel like we're really familiar with the cross. And sometimes we can be so familiar with it that it can lose its power, that we can lose the, just the jarring nature of what this cross symbolizes. And so we hope over the next couple of weeks we'll be able to reclaim some of that, some of the power, some of the scandal, some of the mystery and the beauty of the cross. The cross is the symbol of the Christian faith. It's the symbol of the Christian faith. And and many of you are probably wearing crosses. You have a cross, like, um, maybe on your clothes or a purse or a wallet, uh, jewelry. Maybe some of you have cross tattoos. But the cross, it symbolizes the essence of the Christian faith. But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, this text we want to look at, uh, starting in 1 Corinthians 18, that there's actually, like, the cross, when we're looking at it from the outside, it can almost seem foolish, absurd. And so that's what we want to take a look at this morning. The foolishness of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So, um, for those of us who aren't all that intelligent, this is really good news. Um... But uh, there's this, this quote from Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 29, where God is saying, um, I, I'm going to do something. I'm going to work a new way in the world th- that people aren't going to understand. It's going to be so uh, upside down from the way the world normally thinks about things that it's going to frustrate people. The people who, who feel like they're, they're most keyed into wisdom aren't going to catch it. So this is Isaiah 29, and Paul quotes it here. He pulls it in. And then he goes on in verse 20. He says, so where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Like this whole thing, the wisdom of the world, has not God just made it foolish? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Paul is saying, like, there's this, there's this conflict between the wisdom of the world and what he calls the message of the cross. The message of the cross. Uh, and so, when Paul says the message of the cross, and when we see the symbol of the cross, we're not just seeing a symbol of Jesus' death. I mean, it certainly is that. It was the instrument that he was crucified on. But the cross actually symbolizes the wholeness of Jesus' life. Like, when you see the cross, when we, ha- we always have a cross up front, um, when we see it, we're actually seeing a representative of everything, the full orb experience of Jesus' life. It represents his birth. Because without the incarnation, without God becoming flesh in the birth of Jesus, the cross wouldn't have been possible, right? His death wouldn't have been possible. So it represents his birth. It represents his ministry. Jesus' whole life was just pouring himself out, serving the needs of other people, giving himself away. And his life, the way he lived, ultimately led him to the cross, to this ultimate act of of self-giving love. And so it certainly represents his death as well. But it also represents his resurrection that the, without the resurrection, without the empty tomb and having a risen Savior, the cross has no power, right? So, so the cross and the resurrection, they're, they're, they're fused together because the thing we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Christ, is it validates everything Jesus said and did, and it validates his death on our behalf and all of that. And the cross also represents his ascension to heaven, that the Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning as king over heaven and earth. That's what the cross means. It, it symbolizes all of that. And so um, it's the message of the cross, Paul says. The whole gospel can be summarized as the message of the cross. But think about this for a second. Before Christians, like these first Christians who were sorting out like everything Jesus said and did, they chose for their symbol the cross. And they didn't have to. Like they could have chosen lots of other things. In fact, early Christians, like uh, there was this period of time where they chose the ichthus. You know what the ichthus is? It's that little fish people put on the back of their cars and maybe some of you have that. That was a symbol of the Christianity for a while. But ultimately they landed on the cross. But before Christians chose it, and before the cross came to represent Christ and mercy and, and peace and forgiveness and grace, before the cross represented all of that, it represented power of the Roman Empire. I mean, if, you, if you were walking down the street in the first century, anywhere in the Roman Empire, and you said, what does the cross mean? They said, simple, Caesar is Lord. That's what the cross means. It's Caesar is Lord, and Rome runs the world, so don't step out of line, or they will put you on a cross. That's what the cross symbolized. Um, for example, when Rome would, uh, when they would conquer a territory, or let's say there was a territory that they, um, that they sort of had leadership of that rebelled against them, they would go in, they would take all those who were guilty of insurrection, and many who weren't, and they would just take them out and they would crucify them along the roads leading in and out of the city so that everybody who walked down those roads saw this is what happens when you mess with Rome. Caesar's on the throne, Caesar's in charge, Rome runs the world, so don't mess with us. That's what the cross symbolized. But the message of these first Christians, this message that Paul says is foolishness to those who are on the outside, is this craziness that says if you can imagine in this first century world, you walking up to somebody saying, hey, I want to tell you a story about a man, his name was Jesus of Nazareth, and he was crucified on a Roman cross, and he is a king of heaven and earth. Like, can you imagine how absurd that would sound? He he was crucified on a Roman cross, and he's king. Are you kidding me? Uh, Paul says the word foolishness he chooses is the word moria. Any English words come to mind when you hear the word moria? Moron, right? That's where we get our word moron. So like. There, there's this idea that the cross and saying that Jesus um, is king through his death on the cross is kind of moronic. It's foolish when you're on the outside looking in. In fact, this is fascinating. Do you know the very I want to show you the very first image of Christ that was ever uh, ever discovered, and it was discovered as um, kind of an act of graffiti, and it wasn't um, it wasn't an image that was. Carved into a wall to honor Christ, it was actually, um, well, you'll see, it was actually meant to make fun of Christ and make fun of Christians. So, this is uh, it was found uh, just within the last 150 years, and it was called uh, Alexamenos Graffita. And so, there's this is actually what it looks like here uh, on the wall. And then this is kind of uh, just clarifying it a little bit so you can see. This. So there's this guy, apparently his name is Aleximenos, and he's got his hand up. He's worshiping, and he's worshiping a man on the cross who has the head of a donkey. And the inscription underneath says, Aleximenos worships his God. Do you, do you see how outsiders would have looked at Jesus and looked at Christians and said, this is foolishness, this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous. In fact, uh, one of uh, prominent Christi- uh, prominent Roman thinkers in the first century uh, named Fronto. This is what he says: the religion of the Christians is foolish, in as much as they worship a crucified man, and even the instrument itself of his punishment. The, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those on the outside. The cross, the message of the cross. It flies in the face of how we think the world works. It's an affront to human logic and wisdom. Human wisdom says, I'll show you who the most powerful people are. The most powerful people are the ones with the biggest weapons. The most powerful people are those who can control others who can su- subject others to their will. And this is human logic. This is how the world has, has always functioned since the fall of, of humankind. Um, and you can find it all over the place, uh, human logic like this, and that the cross confronts. Uh, one of them is a statement from, uh, from General Patton. Um, I'm going to let you fill in the blanks, by the way. Um, catch the human logic here. It says, No dumb blank has ever won a war by going out and dying for his country. He won it by making some other... Dumb, blank, die for his country. Do you, you catch the human wisdom and logic? Who has the power? The power to kill. The power to kill. But the mystery of the message of the cross is that through the cross, Christ triumphed over the powers that be and turned the whole world on its head. The message of the gospel is that it was through his death and suffering that Christ conquered the fallen powers of this world and became the rightful king of heaven and earth. We confess that Christ won the ultimate victory, not by killing others, but by allowing himself to be killed. Now to those who are perishing, to those who can only see through the vantage point of fallen human wisdom, the cross is foolishness, it is absurd, it is moronic, but to those who are being saved, to those who are on the inside of it, to those who have glimpsed God's wisdom and God's beauty and God's grace and have experienced his saving love through Christ, the cross is the power of God. It is the symbol of the power of God. These are words from a, a poem called The Absurd Victory of the Cross. You can call me crazy, call me deluded, call me naive, but also call me Christian. Because this is what Christians believe. It is absurd, it's a scandal, it's an offense, and it's the gospel. It's the gospel of the cross. So raise a cross above every flag, because in the end every flag will fall, but the cross of Christ cannot fall, because the cross takes the blow, it absorbs the hate, bears the sin, ends revenge, shames the tyrant, disarms the devil, wins the victory. Christ has become king by the absurd victory of the cross. Now, if we were Pentecostal this morning, Somebody would say amen to that. Are you with me? Is it it too warm in here? This is the message. Like this is the power of the gospel. That God has become flesh in Jesus and he has shown his sacrificial love by going to the cross. Um, Paul says this is the power of God. It is the power of God at work in the world. Power does not look like the way we thought it looked. It doesn't look like Rome's power. It looks like Jesus' power, being willing to stoop and to serve and to wash the feet of his enemies and to forgive those who were actually nailing him to the cross. This is what ultimate power looks like because this is what God looks like. This is the clearest revelation of God. Think about this for a second. The power of God seen in Jesus on the cross. Think about about God's essence, God's nature. We we confess as Christians... um, That God is Trinity, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? That that before anything, before all of creation, God was this endless flow of self-giving love. God is love. And this love is directed from the Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit back to the Father, and it just on and on and on. This is God's nature, this endless flow of self-giving love, other-oriented, pouring God's self out constantly. This is God's nature, pure and holy and good. And so in Christ, God directs this other-oriented love toward us, fallen human beings, toward people who have rebelled against God, people who have chosen our own way, who have chosen sin, and said, God, uh, no thanks, we're going to actually do just fine running our own lives and running the world ourselves. God directs his other-oriented love toward us in Christ, and he comes among us, and he takes on flesh, and he, he moves into this world with grace that the world has never seen before, and he heals people, and he, he shows mercy to people who don't deserve it. And uh, his whole life is just this act of other-oriented love and ultimately it leads him to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus becomes God in Jesus, becomes everything that that is absolutely opposite the very nature of God. On the cross, the Bible says, Jesus became our sin. He became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. We're gonna look at that passage in, in just a minute. But he became our sin on the cross. Something that's absolutely antithetical to God's nature. He became our sin. And not only our sin, but Galatians actually says he became our curse. And our curse is just the result of our sin. It's like, it's us saying, God, we actually don't want you to lead our lives. And so we put all of this stuff, all of this sin in between our relationship with God. And, and the result is we're, we're God forsaken. That we have turned our backs on God and and. And we felt the weight of that, the curse of that, of, of, of God-forsakenness. And Jesus on the cross, Galatians says, became our curse. Entered into that experience of God-forsakenness. Now imagine for a second Jesus, who's, who's lived, who's experienced this endless flow of the Father and the Spirit, this endless flow of others-oriented love, feeling God-forsakenness. Feeling the pain and the brokenness of that. This is what Jesus did. He he crossed this chasm between God's nature and what he did on the cross, becoming our our sin and our curse, and that distance is infinite. That distance between God's nature and Christ on the cross is infinite. Jesus could not have gone another inch to show his love for a fallen world than he went on the cross. Are you with me? Jesus could not have done anything else to show the world what God is like and the distance God is willing to go to win us back, to save us. Then he went on the cross, not another inch, because he became became our sin and our curse. He showed us on the cross that sacrificial love is the most powerful force on the planet. This is what power looks like. It's not the power to take life, it's the power to serve and to lay down our lives for others. It is Christ upon the cross that is in all of its jarring nature, in all the paradox, this is the clearest image, I think we lost the image, uh, is the clearest image of what God's look li- God looks like, God's essence and God's power. What looked like ultimate weakness was in fact ultimate power. What looked like foolishness is in fact the deepest wisdom of God. This is the message of the cross, and this is why Paul says we preach Christ crucified. You know what we preach? We preach Christ crucified. The whole message, the whole message of the church is all summed up in Christ crucified. Paul actually, in in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I resolve to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The whole message, the whole message of the scriptures is summed up in this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's not just the clearest picture of what God is like, of the extent of God's love, but it's also our path to freedom and life. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us. This this infinite love that could not have gone any more, any further than it already did, Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the message. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Where was God when Christ was on the cross? God was not somewhere at a distance sort of, sort of looking down in judgment. Where was God when Christ was on the cross? He was in Christ. That Christ is the presence of God. And it was through Christ. Uh, he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are there for Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when Jesus, like, on the cross, when he takes our sin and he becomes our curse, um, we, can, like, we can just sort of gloss over that. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool that he did that. And we can miss the power of it. Think for a second about the worst thing you have ever done in your life. Like, just, like, take a minute um, and think about, like, think about the thing that you're most ashamed of. And maybe it's something that, like, you've never even told anybody. Like, this thing exists, like, sort of in your past, in the recesses of your mind. And you've locked it up in a vault because you don't want to look at it. You want to pretend it's not there and just sort of get over it. But think about that thing. Give yourself the courage in this moment to bring it to the front of your mind and think about that thing, that thing that you're ashamed of. And think about Christ in these moments on the cross becoming that sin and feeling that sense of guilt, feeling that sense of shame, taking it all onto himself. Think about that for yourself. Think about that for every other person in this room. Think about that for the whole world. I mean, the sins of the whole world. This is what John says when he sees Jesus Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Think about all the people who have ever lived. Think about all the vicious, the ugly, the cruel things that people have done to one another. And think about all of that being compressed in the person of Jesus. And he felt it all your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world, past, present, future, all in him. And Jesus took it into his body. And when he breathed his last and he said these words, it is finished, and he died, all of that died with him. All of that died with him. Your sin, my sin, has died with Jesus. And Jesus rises from the dead and he says, peace be with you. And Paul says, here's the message of reconciliation. God is in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, and he's not counting your sins against you anymore. Is that good news to anybody? God is not counting your sins against you. God is not counting your sins against you. And I think, like, some of us who need that message this morning, because, okay, God may not be counting my sins against me, but I sure am like there's some of it like we're forgiven we've we've stepped on the inside of the cross we've we've received this message but we are still counting our sins against us and we've allowed these voices of condemnation to just sort of just sort of uh, keep running in our brains And, and the message of of the gospel is that all of that all of that sin that once separated us from god has already been dealt with on the cross it's in Christ and it died with him and he's taken it away and God is not counting our sins against us so you don't have to either and all of the ammunition that the enemy once had against us because the enemy is the accuser and the only thing the enemy has ever had against people is our sin And so Jesus on the cross has taken all of that ammunition away, so Satan has nothing against us. The voices of condemnation, they keep coming back up in our minds to say, yeah, but what about this thing? And don't forget about this thing. And you better keep working and being religious and and, and trying to earn your way back from this. You need to go to church more and read your Bible more and, and evangelize more, and you need to do more so that you can earn your way out of forgiveness. That is all a lie, because God isn't counting your sins against you. And so this, is, this is the message of the cross. It is the power of God. And if we accept it, if we receive and step on the inside of its power, it causes us to rethink everything. It causes us to rethink how the world sees power. That, that ultimate power is not the power to control. It's not the ex- power to expand territory. It's the power to lay down your life, even for your enemies. That's what power looks like. It's the power to serve, to stoop, to serve others. To bless him. It causes us to rethink how we see ourselves. That our worth doesn't come from what we do. It doesn't come from what other people say about us. It doesn't come from uh, health. It doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from anything that's vulnerable uh, in this world. Our worth comes from what God has done for us in Christ. In this infinite distance, God has crossed in Christ. It causes us to rethink how we see other people because, well, God might not be counting their sins against them, but I sure am. Like, if God's not going to do it, who is? Like, Somebody has to count their sins against them. And it causes us to rethink how we see other people, that we don't see people from a worldly point of view anymore. If God has forgiven us, then we are called to forgive. From God's perspective, from God's perspective, everything has been cleared out of the way for a relationship with God. Everything, from, like from God's perspective, there is nothing in the way to separate us. And, and so I don't know if you have those relationships in your life where like you're ready for a relationship but the other person isn't. Like, this was my whole high school experience. Like, hey, you want to like, go out? No, me neither. Uh totally cool. Um, so, but this is like God is, could not have done any more than he already did in Christ. To cross the distance, to say this is, this is how much I love you, to clear sin out of the way, to take it all away. And the only thing left for us to do is to respond, to surrender to it, to receive it. And Paul says, um, to those of us who are being saved, to those who, who have said yes to this. It, it's the power of God. And so uh, this morning, Easter Sunday, uh, I think is a, is a fantastic time. that may, There may be some of us here who we've never, you know, we've never sort of just allowed ourselves to surrender to this message of the cross, of God's love for us. And today's a great day to do that. And there are no magic words, there's no like sort of rituals uh, you need to go through. It's just a simple surrender of saying, God, I receive it. I I receive what you've done for me, and I want to surrender my life to you. Whatever those words are for you. There's a symbol of baptism that follows a baptism that says, I'm I'm sort of crossing into this new way of living, a way of living in the power of the cross that that follows this. And so maybe today you're at this place of saying, like, "I, I want... I want to receive this message of reconciliation. Paul says for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So some of us are maybe being saved in the first sense of like crossing into um, the love and grace and uh, forgiveness of Christ. But for many of us, we're already saved. But God is still calling us to be saved from other things. How many of you know that you never stop being saved? Like, we're saved, I'm saved, but I'm still being saved from things. What am I being saved from? From greed, from lust, from unforgiveness, from fear, from anxiety, from, um, from sense of hopelessness, from addictions, from resentment and anger. Like, maybe today the message of the cross, the power of the cross, is to just say, God, what do you want to save me from today? From voices of condemnation, God, to save us from that, and to just simply surrender to what the Spirit is wanting to do in your life. God, um, God, it is such an honor to to be able, God, to just consider to take these, this time on this holy day where we celebrate resurrection, and to look into your word and to stare at the beauty of the cross. God, I, I pray that it would never be ordinary, that it would never be... Um, so familiar that it would lose its, just its edge in our lives. That you would jar us again with it. God, the distance that you are willing to cross. And, and so God, um, for those of us who are here just kind of exploring this whole thing, we're not, we're not sure about Christ. We're not sure about the cross. We're not sure about all of this stuff. God, you promised that you will draw us with your unfailing kindness. And so, God, uh, we asked that you would do that. God, you don't draw us with guilt, with shame, with coercion. You draw us with unfailing kindness. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to do that. And if there are any of, of us here this morning who are, who are just at this point of surrender to you and to your love, God, I pray that you give us the courage to just respond, to open our hearts so that your spirit could flood in. God, that we would feel the weight of our sin being lifted off of us. And we feel the joy of being rightly related to you, God. God, uh, for many of us, there there are so many things we need to be saved from. God, yes, we're saved, but we need to be saved from, God, a, a whole list of things. So God, save us today set us free today. God, the power of your Spirit, would you break off those things in our life that keep dragging us down and pulling us away from you from the voices of condemnation. God, may you give us the power through your Spirit to evangelize our own brains that the good news is, is actually as good as you say it is. God, we surrender to it, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you guys to stand and worship with us.